You are listening to The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogalana. I'm your host, Morris Sullivan. I think it's accurate to say that all religions have mythologies, a story or collection of stories that embody the religion's values, create context for its practices and principles, and things like that. In some cases, these myths may have some degree of historical accuracy. In others, they might be completely fictional or mainly poetic, or they're somewhere along that continuum. In any case, these stories contain spiritual truths. They are sacred vessels. They're not history lessons. They're not science lessons. They're lessons for the heart, you might say. Buddhism is no exception, of course. You've already encountered some of that mythology, if nowhere else, just from listening to this podcast. The story I'll tell you today has to do with the formation of the Buddhist canon. I think it would also be safe to say that all the major religions have some kind of collection of canonical texts. Buddhism's is huge. Because of the way Buddhism spread and evolved, there are different canons in different languages and different schools of Buddhism. But the oldest of them is the Pali canon. While not every school of Buddhism studies this entire canon, it documents the early teachings and so provides the foundation for all the later Buddhist traditions that came along. It's not just one book. There are actually three sets of books. One contains the discourses, teachings given by the Buddha and advanced practitioners during and shortly following his lifetime. Another contains all the rules, principles, and practices for being a monastic and running a monastery. And the final one, the biggest one, in terms of sheer volume, is the commentaries on the discourses, which is called the Abhidhamma. These are all considered to be the word of the Buddha, even though some of it was not actually composed until long after his death. So you might say this particular story that I'm going to tell you today kind of has the effect of connecting the written word to the Buddha himself and legitimizing some texts as being the word of the Buddha as a result of activities that take place outside conventional time and space. And if you're confused by that, don't worry about it. Enjoy the story and the spiritual truths that it embodies. So, the Buddha's mother passed away not long after his birth. Being a very virtuous person, she was reborn in a heavenly realm as a Dewa, which is kind of equivalent to the Western idea of an angel. Being a Dewa is a blissful existence, but it's not enlightenment. The Buddha wanted to offer her the opportunity to become fully liberated from the rounds of suffering. And so he met with her and a number of other Dewas, as well as Brahmas, who were gods in a more refined heavenly state. And so he spent a rainy season in this heaven, preaching the Abhidhamma. He preached every day through this entire rainy season. And as a result, the Dewa who had been his mother, along with many other Dewas and Brahmas, reached stream entry, the first stage of the path to liberation. Well, while this was going on, Sariputta was staying at a monastery at the city of Sankasanagara with 500 monks. And every night after spending the day preaching in heaven, the Buddha would appear to Sariputta and spend the night teaching him the Abhidhamma too. And then the next day, Sariputta would pass along what he had heard from the Buddha to the 500 monks. Well, toward the end of the rains, Moggallana went up to the heaven realm to visit the Buddha. And the Buddha said he'd soon return to the human realm 
When the rains ended, ended, he would come to where Sariputta was staying. As promised, he came down from the heavens to Sankasanagara on the night of the full moon at the end of the rainy season. Colored rays of light emanated from his body, and he was accompanied by a large gathering of radiant devas and brahmas. Sariputta and the other monks went to welcome the Buddha at the city gates, and as they entered, the entire city was lighted by their radiance. Sariputta was awed by this glorious sight, and he said to the Buddha, Venerable sir, we have never witnessed such resplendence. Indeed, you are beloved, respected, and revered by devas, brahmas, and men. The Buddha replied, My son Sariputta, Buddhas are loved by heavenly beings and humans because of their unique qualities. The wise who develop wisdom and insight are freed from the rounds of suffering, and they are also embraced by the devas. Well, by the time he finished speaking, all 500 of the monks who accompanied Sariputta became fully liberated. Many others who had assembled to welcome the Buddha attained stream entry. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. You know, we can learn from one another's spiritual stories. I'm often asked about the idea of practicing Buddhism alongside another religious tradition. There are many examples of people who have expanded their wisdom by being open to other faiths. I mentioned a couple of those in my talk on Buddhism and Christianity, which is episode five of this podcast. It's still there if you want to listen to it. Buddhism has a long tradition of coexisting with other religions. Asian religions have tended to be kind of inclusive. They're generally thought of as teaching traditions, or they're based on incarnations of the divine, so they're not, you know, the one and only truth that you encounter with some religions. So if the Buddha teaches something wise, make use of it. If one of the prophets teaches something wise, make use of it, and so on. I was asked about this not too long ago, so I answered in a relatively informal setting. It was actually during a Wednesday evening service, which are streamed on YouTube. I'm going to include my answer here, share this with you. talk tonight uh, about a question that I've had. Uh, you know, it's, it's come up several times over the past few years, um, but someone asked me very specifically about this recently. This is a, a colleague who uh, deals with a lot of other people who've asked him about this recently. And so um, I thought, well, it's a good time to talk about this. And it really is the question, uh, which I think I posted on the, uh, on the description of tonight's meeting. The question is, can I be a Buddhist and be something else? Or can I be something else and also be a Buddhist? And so, you know, I've talked about this a little bit at White Sands before. I probably talked about it here before a little bit. But um, there, there is a, a trend a tendency for people to want to continue to practice their, you know, the religion of their family, of their culture that they grew up with or whatever, and yet to recognize maybe a need to do something a little bit deeper spiritually or a little bit more uh, 
practice-oriented spiritually, or they just have heard about Buddhism, or they've tried to meditate, or they've started to meditate, and they've found that that's working for them, and that's maybe waking them up spiritually in some way. And, and so the question comes up, well, can I be a Buddhist and still be whatever, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Baha'i, uh, you know, you, you, whatever. So again, the short answer is, yeah, why not? You know, we don't have a problem with it. Now, if you're an evangelical Christian and you're looking into Buddhism, your pastor might have an issue with it, but I don't have an issue with it. But there are some things to be aware of. And there are some challenges that you'll encounter and that sort of thing that's important to know. And, um, and also, so like this person who was talking to me about this said, you know, you don't hear about Jewish Christians or, you know, Muslim Jews or whatever, you know, Hindu Muslims and stuff. Um, why do you hear about Buddhists? You know, I think the term I've heard recently was Jews. you know. Uh, so, um, you know, and that's a good question. And there are answers to this. So there's some things that are kind of unique or about Buddhism. I don't know that unique is the correct way of putting it, but there, there are some things about Buddhism that are different from what we see a lot with some of the religions that are more majority, the majority religions in the West uh, and so on. So that, you know, are different from Buddhism. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, part of the answer. So here's the thing. So Buddhism is a path of practice. Yes, there's a mythology. All religions have some sort of a mythology. Now, being mythic doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. All right. It just means these are the these are the stories, the sacred stories around that convey the values and, and purpose and so on of the of a religion. And Buddhism has one of those, you know, and it's a different mythology than other religions have, you know, different different central figures and all of that. Buddhism has a, a purpose that involves connecting us you know, practitioners to the divine, which other religions have, you know, Christianity, you know, if you, if you believe in a certain thing, you go to a certain place when you die and so on. Um, you know, Buddhism has, has its own per sense of its own purposes, its own soteriology, you know, its own theory of salvation, uh, Buddhism, you know, has uh, rites and rituals, just like all other religions. There are different rites and rituals than other religions, you know, to some extent. Like when when Buddhist, see, Catholic once told me that when you, you stand to praise, you sit to learn and you kneel to pray. Well, in Buddhism, it's, you know, you sit to sit, <laughs> you know, and you sit to listen and you, you may kneel to sing or praise. It's not really praising, but well, sort of, 
you know, you're sometimes we'll we'll chant, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the characteristics of the Buddha, which is a sort of sort of like praising God, sort of a little different, um, you know. So the, things are different, you know. There's a lot of similarities. We light candles. They light candles in Catholic churches. They light a chalice in New Year churches that, you know, and so on. Um, there's a, yeah. So there are some differences in terms, though, of, of what the religion is all about. And so, you know, I've, I've had this conversation before with like Christian ministers. If I ask a minister, what's Christianity? They'll give me a statement of belief. We believe that God, you know, so loved the world that he gave his only son, etc. That's a statement of belief. If you ask me what's Buddhism, I'm going to tell you what we do. Do good, avoid doing evil, purify the mind. At its simplest, that's what Buddhism is. In fact, I was at the prison this week and there was a guy who's fairly new to Buddhism. He'd been reading about it. I think he's been to one meeting before. I can't remember for sure. Um, and I said something about being a Buddhist, that I was a Buddhist. And then I said, you know what? That's really not accurate. It's, it's really, I mean, yes, I identify as Buddhist. Somebody says, what religion are you? I'm a Buddhist. But the reality is I'm, it's not about being a Buddhist. It's not about what I call myself. It's about what I do. I do Buddhism. And, and that actually goes back to like the beginning of Buddhism. There's a, if you, um, in, in like Theravada Buddhism, uh, they, they'll say Buddha Sasana. And in fact, I had a, I was having a conversation with somebody at the Thai temple one time and the person said something about Buddhism and this Thai woman goes, don't talk about Buddhism. It's not an ism. It's a Sasana. Well, sasana is a practice. What Buddha practice? So what do you do as a Buddhist? Not what do you believe in? What do you do? And so, so there is that uh, aspect of this that makes it kind of uh, easy, not easy, but, but appropriate in some cases. You can, you can have a sort of cultural belief system that's not Buddhist and yet practice Buddhism. So a lot of the people who do this, you know, that's what they're doing. They might be culturally Jewish or culturally Christian or so on, and they practice Buddhism. So it's not like, you know, if you go for refuge with me, you can never have a Christmas tree again. In fact, we put them up sometimes here because it feels good to do it. And it, you know, it, it kind of um, harkens back to like childhood and when, you know, shiny colored lights were really cool and made you feel happy and all of that kind of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, um, one of the interesting things about religion in general, not just Buddhism, but religion in general, is that it's not a fixed, finite thing. Religion is if it's going to, if it's useful at all to actual living, breathing human beings, it evolves and changes. It's it's more of an art than a museum piece. You know, art evolves, improves, changes, meets 
It meets the culture that it's in. It creates the culture that it's in and at the same time responds to what's happening in the culture. Religion is like that too. Religion is not, you know, something separate from everything else that's going on. Religion is a part of culture and it influences culture. It's a creator of culture. So it results from culture and creates culture. And so, so it changes over time, and it changes to fit the the um, the needs really of the people who are practicing it. Now that doesn't mean that you go, oh, you know, this whole five precepts thing is really a kind of inconvenient. I'm not going to bother with that because you know, if you're going to practice the religion, you need to understand and its ethics and practice the ethics. You know, do good. How do you define that? And you define it a little bit differently in Buddhism maybe than some other religions. Avoid doing evil. You might define that differently in Buddhism than some other religions, but you have guidelines. So, and to some extent, those things are going to change. So, for example, you know, you find the rules for running monasteries, many of which, you know, when I was a monk in the Thai order, I took 227 precepts, many of which are completely irrelevant today. Who cares what color wool you make your sitting mat out of? You know, that's one of them. You know, you take, take these precepts, you know. And so, so but, uh, you know, traditions and things like that are somewhat important, but... There, every religion has sort of a core of what it's about that is, um, that is somewhat enduring and stable, even when the context for it, even within the context of the religion itself, can be somewhat fluid. So let me give you an example of that. You know, the Buddha gave some very... Uh, um, specific teachings during his lifetime that were preserved and that established this is what Buddhism is about. The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the teaching on the not-self characteristic, the teaching on impermanence, you know, the, the teaching that liberation from coming and going is possible. There are schools of Buddhism out there where that's probably never, ever discussed. I mean, I doubt very seriously that you go into a typical Zendo associated with Soto Zen and hear somebody give a talk about the Four Noble Truths. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It is, it is in the, within the marrow of the practice. Even if it's never discussed, that's where it comes from. It's in the bones, in the marrow that... Transcendence comes about through understanding ignorance and uh, suffering and the cause of suffering. And when we do the chant at the beginning about, you know, all harmful karma ever committed by me since of old on account of my greed, hatred, and ignorance. That's, you know, that's in there. That's in those early, early, early teachings. Okay. And those things you don't change. You're not going to say... You know, I like this Buddhism thing, but I'd like to go around being ignorant. And then you're not Buddhist. Okay? You might you could call yourself Buddhist, but you ain't. You're not doing it. 
You're not doing it. And that's the important thing is doing it. Cause it. Calling yourself something does not save you. You do not make spiritual progress based on what you call yourself. So you call yourself a Christian if you want to. If you're not practicing Christianity, well, good luck, right? And the same thing with Buddhism. If you call yourself a Buddhist, stick a label on your shirt or whatever, you know, wear the Buddhist t-shirt. But to actually do Buddhism, you have to do Buddhism. So you can do Buddhism and still identify as Jewish, still identify as Christian, still identify as Muslim. Now, there are going to be some issues that arise. I'm not going to, you know, I won't sugarcoat that. And we can't really dance around those. If you're a Muslim, for example, you know, there's a, I've, I've talked to Muslims about common ground between uh, Islam and Buddhism. That's a very interesting conversation. There's a lot of similarity. There's a Muslim teaching in the Quran about the, uh, the lantern uh, uh, parable. And it's beautiful. And it's about as Zen as anything I've ever seen. It's just gorgeous, you know, and it really speaks to my heart. But if you're a Muslim, you're probably not going to be real comfortable in a Buddhist temple because, you know, that particular religion <clears throat> it really looks down on praying in a room with graven images in it. So the statues and things like that probably going to make you uncomfortable. Will it make you go to hell if you do it? You know, that's kind of, you have to figure that out. I mean, I can't tell you that. Uh, you know, Ellen's saying, well, there's this pesky issue of the soul. And yeah, you know, if you're a, a Christian who believes that salvation comes about as a result of saving your soul, and Buddhism says, ain't no soul, well, you know, you got to figure out how to navigate that. Because that's, you're certainly... Those two ideas do not align real well. Having said that, you know, there's Catholic priests out there who are Zen masters. So when you go, <clears throat> you know what, I believe this, but I'm going to do that. As long as those two things are not conflicting with one another, then where's the problem? Uh, you know, I had a... Uh, an evangelical Christian once, you know, trying really hard to convince me that I was going to go to hell because I wasn't a Christian. And so I said, okay, so my religion is that you do good, you avoid doing evil, and you purify your mind of those things that get you to, you know, not do good and to do attached to evil. What part of that do you have a problem with? You know, didn't have a problem with any of that. So, so, you know, I, now, again, I identify as Buddhist. I have enough trouble trying to follow the principles and practices of one religion. I'm not going to complicate my life by trying to follow the principles and practices of two religions or three or four or whatever. But I can recognize the wisdom in other religions. And often I can hear see things, see things experience things and be really deeply touched by it. Despite the fact that, you know, maybe I don't identify as one of those. 
I also don't have to push those away. You know, one of my favorite things to do this time of year is to go to Our Lady of Lords Catholic Church <clears throat> for the Thanksgiving interfaith service. It's wonderful. Do I agree with everything everybody says? No. But, <clears throat> you know, at, at some point, when your own spirituality is solidified enough, and I don't mean hardened, I mean is, is, is concentrated enough that you know where your heart is, you've got direction and purpose, and your practice is strong, you can recognize the value in any other religion. You can. I've talked to people that I'm sure were enlightened who practice religions other than the one I practice. You know, I think that there's a lot of ways of getting to the truth. Now, when it comes to things like soul, I had a conversation recently with someone who was talking about the sort of yogic view that the, the little A Atman uh, was, uh, you know, that the, the, the purpose of practice was to unify the, the small A self with the large A self, you know, the, the soul, this soul with this soul. Well, you know what, if that's useful, use it. I don't know in terms of substance how different that is really from uh, the idea, for example, that by surrendering to the Nimbutsu that you realize oneness. What's oneness? So if you say, okay, well, I think there's a soul and, I'm, and I want to experience oneness with, all, with the big soul, the all creation, well, how is that different than saying, well, I don't have a separate unique self separate and apart from all creation. A lot of this stuff is really container. It's not truth. Truth is truth. Religion is container. Yeah. I, I think that for most people, that you're probably going to have to have a foundation. That's the, the kind of the point you come back to. Again, for me, I identify as Buddhist. You know, my practice is my practice. I can, from that standpoint, I can experience other practices, other traditions, and so on, and, and their beauty. But when I read that section of the Quran, I'm reading it as a Buddhist. I'm seeing the Dharma there. There's a beautiful thing in the Gala talking about. There's this idea that, you know, all the light in the world was concentrated in one thing and it just couldn't contain it all. So it exploded. And now the whole objective of the spiritual life is to try to put it all back together again. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, I hear that and I'm practically moved to tears at the profundity of this idea. But, you know, I'm going to come at that again from someone who's practicing the Buddha Dharma. So... I think that um, if in the case of things like this, the Catholic priests who become Zen masters, I think they see that as a way, the, their Zen practice is a way to make their Christian practice more real, you know, more personal, more, uh, more grounded and in, 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 in really connecting to the divine in a very deep way. Um, but, you know, if you find a way to do both, more power to you. I'm not going to tell you you can't, but I will tell you, you know, find your truth. Now, here's another thing. I have 
had this conversation with somebody recently lately too. Um, student came in and was kind of trying to find a, a denomination, a Christian denomination that they would feel really comfortable with. And, and, oh, and I talked about that and I said, but don't, don't think that you've got to agree with everything the preacher says. And it occurred to me as we were talking, I've got like five teachers or so that have been in my life that are really important to me that I've gotten a lot from. Uh, I love them and um, uh, have tons of gratitude for them. And I don't agree with 100% with any of them. Not a single one of them that I could say, I'm completely on the same page about everything with this person. Because my wisdom is my wisdom. It's not Kaitian's wisdom. It's not Tanshokun's wisdom. It's not Ginjo Gallagher's wisdom. It's whatever I got, I, you know, is through my realization. I heard an interesting metaphor. Was, uh, the, the Zen monk who's in the prison group with me was talking about to one of the guys about... Uh, Early on, you know, how he struggled with the idea of teaching and, you know, how could he avoid screwing somebody else up by saying the wrong thing? And the guy and his teacher said, don't give from empty pockets. I love that. You can't give from empty pockets. In other words, don't give what you don't have. Right. So. Certain things that I have there things that I'm going to agree with, I'm going to be on the same page with most of my teachers. Otherwise, they, would, they wouldn't be my teachers. But there are areas where I go, you know, I don't really see it that way. Not only that, they wouldn't all agree with each other about everything either. You know, they'd all have disagreements, and yet they're all grounded in the Buddha Dharma. So if you find that, you know, you really want to, Practice the religion that you grew up with and be a Buddhist. Okay, you don't have to agree with everything. Do what you do and do it from your heart and do it from a place of wisdom and compassion and you'll be fine. Now, should you go for refuge if you also feel like you're a Christian or Jewish or whatever? That's totally up to you. Can you, can you, Find a place where both of those things hold the same space in your heart? Okay. If you can, then that's fine. Thank you for joining me for episode 37 of The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogalana. I hope this was useful to you. I hope that whatever the foundation of your spiritual life, whatever sacred stories embody your faith, that you will fully develop the factors that lead you to joy and to a connection to the divine, whatever that means to you. Now go save the world. Mm -hmm.